Hey, cuz, welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs. And today, it's Gary Newman taking us for a spin. Can I take a moment to talk about Podcast Republic? They have been listing this show as a featured show ever since I was just a baby podcaster. No kidding. This show may have still been no more than a couple of months old, and I was just too excited to learn about it since it was the podcast app that I had been using from about the time I started listening to podcasts. Think about that. They serve up over a million podcasts and a half a billion episodes, and I'm up in there in the top 10. Podcast Republic to me is notable for the fact that when Uh, Some other apps start announcing all the cool new bells and whistles they've got. I wonder what the big deal is because I usually have that feature already. They don't pay me for this. I'm doing it because they're nice to me, so I'm nice to them. Go look for Podcast Republic in the Google Play Store. It is trivia time, and I think I've got a stumper for ye today. Name the 1959 hit song that started out as a poem written by the artist's mother and was originally titled Rock and Roll Baby. It didn't work out with that title, so a little reworking was done, and the song became one of eight hit singles for this artist. Name the song and the artist, and I'll have that answer and a little bit more near the end of the show. Gary Newman was at the forefront of a punk band called Tubeway Army at the age of 19 back in 1977. It wasn't long after that, in 1979, that the band appeared on the show Top of the Pops. Newman said in an interview with Billboard magazine that the appearance was a fluke. Top of the Pops had a regular feature during which they showcased bands that were up and coming, and during the week in question, it was between them and Simple Minds. According to Newman, Tubeway Army was selected because it was a more interesting band name than Simple Minds. But the appearance led to the band's song, Our Friends Electric, which is what you're hearing now, going to number one on the UK pop charts, and it stayed there for four weeks. It was also top ten in Ireland and the Netherlands, and top twenty in Australia and several countries in Europe. And I know what you're thinking, because I thought much the same thing. You're thinking this sounds more like new wave than punk, and you'd be kind of right and kind of not. See, here in the U.S., we have this image of punk music being all rapid-fire, hard chords, and lyrical content that advocates, I don't know, spitting on your mother or some such. But acts like Patti Smith, the Ramones, the Runaways, and I would even include early Joe Jackson were all part of the punk movement as well. So while Tubeway Army had a little bit more synth to it, it was still a punk band. That said, Newman did want to move away from punk and into more of a pop-slash-new-wave kind of sound. So, he jettisoned the rest of the band, and he began working on a solo album. Now, when Newman began work on what became The Pleasure Principle, he said his intention was to write a whole bunch of throwaway pop stuff for it because the previous album was just so heavy. Newman said in a 2008 interview with Mojo Magazine that the song was inspired by Road Rage, not his, other people's. He said he was in London and a couple of guys started peeking in his windows and for whatever reason, they took a dislike to him, so he had to take evasive action. He locked the doors, he swerved up onto the sidewalk, scattering people everywhere. He didn't hit them, he scared them away, and he made his escape. From that incident, it occurred to him that when you're in your car in the modern world, you feel somehow safe. He said in a 2001 interview that, quote, when you're in it, your whole mentality is different in a car. It's your own little personal empire with four wheels on it. 
unquote. So while on its surface, it sounds like an ode to people getting around, eh, it's really got a little bit of a darker intent to it. It's a feeling of isolation created by being in the vehicle. In retrospect, Gary Newman has said that he doesn't really know why the song has done so well over the years. He wrote it on a bass guitar, he says, and it took him about 10 minutes to compose. The keyboard parts came later, but he had the main melody and the arrangement locked in pretty quickly. Newman said in that same 2001 interview that he really couldn't even play bass, so he bought a bass guitar in order to learn how to play it properly. He never did get very good at the bass, he says, but those opening notes of Cars was among the first things he played. Newman did make a video for the song, of course, because 1979, but it's actually kind of hard to watch because of the video effects he used, which are a little bit on the silly side nowadays, but they were pretty cutting edge then. But when MTV launched in the summer of 1980, about a year later, they didn't have a lot of videos in their library, so this one got a lot of airplay early on, and that meant that the song's popularity kind of endured in the United States. The record was released in August of 1979, and it went to the top of the charts in the UK and in Canada. It was a number nine record in Australia and on the Billboard Hot 100 chart here in the US, and a top 40 record in a few other European countries. The song has recharted a few times over the years in the UK because of remixes being released. Now, over the years, Newman has updated a lot of his older material, but Cars seems to resist that kind of treatment. He said he's tried to update it, but it doesn't sound any better to him. So when the heavy metal band Fear Factory approached him in 1998 about doing a remix slash update, he was getting a little paranoid about having that 1980s tag hung on him. Fear Factory, it turns out, had been playing the song in shows since about 1996, so they sought his input. Newman said the experience was quite positive and he actually learned a lot from it. The Fear Factory version is a little bit more guitar heavy, which makes sense since there aren't any guitars on the original version, and you've got heavy metal band here. And in some verses, Newman's voice has actually been allowed to bubble up a little bit more prominently. And at the same time, it's a weirdly bright recording considering Fear Factory's usual material. It's a pretty good track. The album as a whole is one of their best sellers, and the single did okay on the UK singles chart, but it managed to reach number 16 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Chart and number 38 on the Modern Rock Tracks Chart. And yes, there is a video, and it's a little easier on the eyes than the 1979 version. The experience with Fear Factory probably also gave Newman the personal freedom to do a commercial in 2010 for Die Hard Batteries. Here's a short clip from that ad, and I will link to the whole thing at the website. We powered a cube of lights, a double-stack keyboard, 24 cars without batteries, and Gary Newman. All with one die-hard platinum battery.
The original version was also used in a Walmart commercial that debuted during the 2019 Super Bowl. Newman himself doesn't appear in it, but the ad features the song and a bunch of famous cars uh, from TV and movies. And now it's time to answer our trivia question back on page two. I asked you to identify the song that started out as a poem called Rock and Roll Baby. Well, if you look at the label for Tallahassee Lassie, you'll see that the writing credit goes to Crew, Slay, and Picarello. The first two are Bob Crew and Frank Slay, and while Frederick Picarello is Freddie Cannon's real name, the Picarello in this case is actually Freddie's mother. When they couldn't make Rock and Roll Baby quite work, they reworked it into Tallahassee Lassie, and they cut a demo, which, despite 50 takes, nobody was liking how it came out. They shopped the demo to a bunch of labels in New York, all of whom said, no, thank you. A few months later, they brought it to Swan Records in Philadelphia. Now, one of the owners of Swan was Dick Clark. He liked the song, but he suggested that the bridge, the part that opens with that booming drum and the line, she dances to the bop, be played twice instead of just one. Well, they liked the idea, but they weren't willing to record the song over again, so they just spliced a copy of the bridge back into the recording, and that's the version we hear today. And you know, the funny thing is that this isn't the first time I've heard a story about Dick Clark suggesting a relatively simple change that turns a decent song into a big hit. But that is a tale for another day. And that, my friend, is another full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone. Share with your friends. Share with your enemies. Maybe they'll become your friends. Maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. When you send me five bucks a month, you get a newsletter every single week, whether the new show drops or not. So that's not too bad. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show and next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we check out James Taylor's first hit. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. How good.